as you start bringing more people into the process, it's harder for everybody to kind of know, where do I go get my work done? My name is Dimitri and I'm a productivity and systems enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and self-development enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets business. And what it means to build better systems. Enjoy the show. If you're listening to this, you are not on our private subscriber feed and you will only be hearing a portion of this episode. If you'd like to listen to the full length episode, you'll need to go to riseproductive.com membership or sign up on your favorite podcasting app for exclusive access. From there, you'll also get access to our exclusive newsletter, the weekly pour over, our private members only Discord community, and any other subscriber only content. So if you enjoy what we are doing here, please consider becoming a member. Hello everyone, my name is Dimitri and welcome back to another episode of the Rise Productive Podcast. In today's episode, we have John Darbyshire, Darbyshire, I believe I'm saying that correctly, from SmartSuite. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great. Appreciate you having me on today. Uh, I I really, it feels really cool whenever I get to talk to people who are so close to productivity apps. Uh, I am somebody who is a big nerd into productivity app so being able to speak to the co-founder of smart suite is pretty awesome i think what would be a great start for everyone is to uh, probably give everyone a little bit of background on you uh, and how you got to this point in your career and uh, maybe a little bit of the behind the scenes on uh, the original uh, starting story of smart suite Sure. No, ha- happy to do that. I-, I won't go too far back, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start with, I-, I was a partner at Ernst & Young and had the opportunity to run one of their global consulting practices for a number of years. We had about 1,500 people in that practice, and that's where I began to really understand the value of process and the ability to replicate process across teams of people to make them more productive. And I uh, left Ernst & Young and started a company called Archer Technologies, which was a no-code platform Uh, that at the time focused on risk and compliance, which became governance risk and compliance space over time. We were the first product in that space. And we had an idea to just manage those types of processes in the same way that you would manage any other business process in an organization. So just like accounts payable, accounts receivable, payroll, you have processes that relate to, you know, governance, risk and compliance. And at that time, that was in 2000, it was mainly around large financial institutions bringing online banking uh, to market for the first time and needing to know how to secure the systems and the people and processes and apps and things that were involved in in making that actually happen. And that company went on to, in the first three years, 29 of the top 30 financial services companies in the U.S. were customers after year five, 75 of the Fortune 100. So it was a, it, it kind of exploded on, on that side for us. Um, I sold that company to EMC in 2010 mm-hmm. and thought I was going to retire officially for some <laughs> period of time. Started a family foundation, did some fun things, um, invested in about 400 startups, uh, either direct or through some venture funds and had the chance to just work with a lot of entrepreneurs. And as I was meeting with them, we would spend as much time talking about their internal processes in the business and how they were going to scale that sometimes as we did on the product or idea that they had uh, bringing to market. Right. So it continued to be a problem and it was in the back of my head. So about three and a half years ago, I said, Hey, I'm just going to look across all the players in the space from productivity, project management, relational database process type products. And, I looked at 400 data points across about 20 players in the space. And I just kind of want to understand like how they all competed against each other, mm-hmm. where they began to fit. And what I was hoping for, what we found was that I felt like there was a sweet spot of 
bringing together together capabilities from all of these different types of products into one core platform so that you didn't need six or eight products to kind of do your job each day. You could have one core platform that maybe manages 80, 85% of what you need, and you can still work with outside products and use integrations and automations that we have built in, but it just makes it easier if you can come to one place and kind of work. So that's the idea behind Smart Suite is really any process, any project, uh, one platform. Yeah, I love that. I uh, really, my view of Smart Suite as I first uh, saw it, and hopefully you'll take this as a as a fun compliment. It was like uh, ClickUp if it didn't have all the dang bugs. Like to be <laughs> honest, that's like the sentiment that's growing, and I think that that says a lot about the platform. Yeah, we spent we, we, a little different approach to bringing a product to market than maybe ClickUp did, in that we spent three years with a very large team of developers, around a hundred to build the core platform before we released to our first customer uh, that was there. So wow. pretty big lift um, that was there. So you can just think of, you know, a, a pretty talented team working for that long, like the feature set that's kind of involved in making that happen. But what that did for us is it allowed us to get the core architecture exactly the way we wanted so that we weren't, you know, releasing after six months and doing an MVP and having features built on top of things that we didn't think fit together. Right. So we got the core foundation built the way we wanted and now it's easier to add new functionality on top of that i think that's really that's actually really important that's something that a lot of these applications don't do what sort of made you um and i'm guessing i actually don't know how many co-founders you had but like make that sort of decision yeah so uh, the two co-founders are uh my wife tara okay. <laughs> who's focused on kind of all the all things strategic in the company she was co-founded archer technologies with me as well and then uh, we connected back with our CTO from the early days at Archer Technologies. They also ran product for us and brought him in after about a year of us uh, going live. So those are kind of the three founders uh, that we have. Yeah. And so I guess, what did you see sort of in the other applications that made you realize that it was so important to like start with that really good architecture? Because there there really is like an issue that I've noticed in these all in one. I'm putting air quotes for the podcast listeners. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the traditional approach that most young companies need to take because they don't have a lot of capital or they go raise seed funding and now mm. they have someone on the venture side that's pushing them to get to market is they typically work four to six months. They release an MVP, most viable product. They put that out there and then people iterate on that over a period of time and have suggestions and they keep making it better over time. What my belief was that we couldn't build a product that could solve this problem until we really had all the features that solved the problem, right? And we didn't want to go to market with 60% of the problem solved because people would look at us and say, doesn't solve the problem and put us at the bottom of the stack. So we wanted to kind of come out of the gate and compete against the traditional players in project management productivity that you'd see like a Monday, a ClickUp, an Asana, yeah. right, Notion, but also on the process side, like an Airtable, ServiceNow, Mindex, OpenPages uh, that's there. And I'll say the last thing is not many founders were in a position like that I've been able to be in and that we were pretty successful in the last company that we sold. So funding wasn't an option. So it gave us kind of, the, we're self-funded to this day. Oh, like we wow. have yeah. capital. Um, it just allowed us to build what we wanted to build and to serve the types of customers we want to serve without any pressure, financial pressure associated with that. That's awesome. I, I definitely think that, 
when somebody has those outside hands in the pot, proverbial pot like that, <laughs> or cookie jar like that, that definitely is going to make you push them into market really quickly. So, uh, definitely glad that you guys did that. Besides, since you don't didn't have that headwind necessarily, what were maybe like the first headwinds that you saw when joining such a, I mean, pretty competitive space, especially when you started 2020 with remote work, that must have been like the boom of these uh, applications deeming to be necessary in some new sectors. It, it was, I, I really wish we could have been to market like 18 months faster and, <laughs> and really caught the beginning of that wave. We saw it coming and we just couldn't get the, the infrastructure built fast enough to go to market uh, to catch it. But it, it's a wave that we feel is gonna go on for quite some time. Like it's the next generation of no code platforms that are focused on helping businesses get work done and to manage more of their business on a core platform that's there. So you see, excuse me, you see uh, project management tools, maybe like a monday.com that's done really well in the project management space. You see them moving into the process space just a little bit, but they're very task centric, right? Everything relates back to a task. And if you're setting up a CRM and you have accounts, accounts really aren't tasks, right? So you can no. kind of make it work, but it doesn't. And then on the other side, take maybe an Airtable, very process centric and do better on the relational database side, but don't have this concept of a task like Monday or ClickUp does. So they're kind of, you know, you, you, you solve part of the problem, but you can't bring everybody together. So the idea was with SmartSuite is we built an architecture that supports both all the task management features and the process components into one place. And then knowing that you're a, a notion uh, guy that, uh, you know, we, we brought in what we call a smart doc, which is like a Google doc, yeah. like a note doc with capabilities that are kind of like a, a, a doc on steroids is what a lot of people say. And that you can do things that normally you can't do inside of a doc. So we, we try to give you those three different um, pain points together into one core platform. Yeah. I love that. And I think uh, with me, uh, I guess for, for, yeah, more context for you, I'm like a notion consultant. I am an ambassador of that platform. I, I do think that there's actually a really nice, um, how do I word this? I think there is a good quality to applications that don't necessarily have as free flowing of a like page structure or like, uh, you know, how you, you essentially, you have a more defined UI. Correct. Yeah. I think where we begin to excel are with uh, teams and businesses that need a little more structure so that you you need the combination of both structured and unstructured data inside of your process. Notion is really good for teams that um, it's very powerful, um, in it, but it's more unstructured in all the things that you can do. And as you start bringing more people into the process, it's harder for everybody to kind of know, where do I go get my work done? Let me give you an example of that. Um, in SmartSuite, let, let's say a business runs 10 different workflows or processes inside of SmartSuite, sales, marketing, product, HR, maybe IT. And as people are getting assigned things to do, which we can, you can call tasks, it shows up in their My Work page, right? So they can go to one place and they can see everything that they've been assigned across all the different areas of SmartSuite. And that's where most people begin their day and start their journey is, is do I have anything that's overdue? What's kind of due today, this week? And that gets them going as opposed to clicking seven places to go, you know, see what might have popped up for them to get done. Yeah, I really like that uh, as a platform. When I noticed that there was the home sort of feature, that is something that is obviously lacking within Notion because of the, uh, like you said, like it's more of a free flowing structure. And I, so I work in Asana at my day job, which is like, 
how do I wear this nicely? I think every platform has got its perks, but one thing that always gives me a gripe is when like platforms don't have basic markdown functionality in like their descriptions and whatnot. And I think just having the smart docs is something that separates you even from something like uh, Asana. Yeah, I think you're hitting on the value proposition for a, why a lot of project management teams are moving to SmartSuite. It's just that they, they love, you take Monday, ClickUp, and Asana, Reich, kind of put them all together. Mm-hmm. They're really good at managing tasks. They're, they're pretty good at the my work piece that's in there. They start to fall down on some of those capabilities that you said with, you know, the markup language and just doing some more interesting things that, you know, when you need to write business strategy and outlines and things, it's harder to do in those docs, you know, in those products. I guess just taking a step back from like maybe the, the product itself, I'm curious then after you had made that uh, maybe internal thought that you were going to retire, um, what necessarily got you to the point where you thought to yourself, okay, I'm going to go full in on hiring a team and trying to dive into this. I mean, you're, you're starting a SaaS up after that initial thought process into what you said was, and I, I agree, was like a very like booming space kind of an interesting transition there. I'm curious, like, was there an initial moment where you, it just like finally clicked that you wanted to make this happen? It, it, it did. I'll, I'll go back first to to tell you a little story from my days at Archer Technology. So we built this no-code platform to manage processes inside of companies, but we really focused on seven core processes that were around uh, risk and compliance. And, but what we found was that our customers, some large banks like Morgan Stanley, when we went to visit, they had built 200 other processes on top of our platform, didn't have anything to do with risk and compliance. They were just using it inside of their office of the um, CIO and building things as teams came to them that they needed. Um, the vision of Archer was gonna evolve to do that. And when we sold the company, the, the choir came in and said, hey, that's all great, but we're, we're gonna focus just on the governance risk and compliance. And they're the big behemoths that they own that space today, you know, even 12 years after we sold it. Um, but that was always in the back of my mind was we wanted to help businesses manage any process inside of the company. And, you know, about three years, four years into retirement, you know, I'll, I'll, a lot of people that are my age kind of find this out. Do you think that that sounds great that I'm going to retire, just do what I want? And, you know, I played golf almost every day for a whole year. I thought that was going to be pretty cool. I got kind of bored, did a lot of travel, did some fun stuff in our family foundation, but I woke up every day with just kind of no passion. Like I didn't know, like I was just trying to stay busy, but I kind of lost my passion. And I, so I started investing in companies. And what I found on that side was that I'm not a great advisor I, because I want to go operate. Like I wanted to uh, get in and do the work and the entrepreneurs didn't love that. Right. Most yeah. people, they don't want you coming in and helping them all the time. Um, so I really stepped back and, and started to get excited about this new world of productivity, work management, business operating system type concepts uh, that were there. And I just remember having a conversation with my wife. She said, you just need to jump back in. Like you're bored to death. <laughs> like, just go do it. <laughs> you know, quit talking about it. Uh, and that's what kind of started the journey maybe three and a half, four years ago uh, for me. That's awesome. I, th- I do think there's a lot of people who, when they uh, end up doing some of these, even like in short terms, they do like trips uh, for like an extended period of time. They end up finding like, well, I don't know if this is like. <laughs> yeah, you, you need some reason that when you get up in the morning that you're just excited and you know, and passionate about. And I know a lot of execs that kind of reach my age 
like they need to take a year off and just recharge sometimes because they've been going so hard for so long. But after they recharge, that's when it hits them. Like, all right, well now, now what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm not at, you know, I still have 20, 30 years left, you know, to, you know, do things. So what, what am I going to use my time to do? That's awesome. I, I, going back then to the product itself, I am curious as somebody who deals with a platform that has a very interesting, uh, roadmap and update sort of cadence what necessarily is your thought process behind how a smart suite should bring these new updates to the product sure yeah so you know i've had the chance over the last 25 30 years to be involved in quite a number of companies from a software development perspective so i definitely have lessons learned personally as i've seen companies do really well some not so well and some kind of middle of the road so what we've done at SmartSuite is we broke our development team up into four different teams. Each team is independent of each other, although they have daily calls to sync on things. And we've built our architecture in a way that allows them to kind of do the work in their piece. And it doesn't always, sometimes it does, but most of the time it doesn't affect the other parts of the product that are there. So that's the part where we spent three years and so much time to kind of get the core architecture built. Uh, but it allows us to then bring features in certain areas to market faster. You know, we mm. use microservices and we use all the latest, greatest technology that's available as well uh, that's there. Um, if we hadn't have done that and just built an MVP, and um, this ClickUp may have kind of went down this path because ClickUp um, kind of came out of the gate really quick and yeah. then added a lot of really cool features. And then they had to step back, it looks like, and say, now we have to plan for the next version of our architecture because we have so many people using our platform and they've, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to tell you, that's a really hard undertaking when you have, you know, 200,000 customers and you're trying to, you know, move to a new architecture. It's hard. So we decided that's a lesson learned for me in the past is let's get that part done right at the beginning and hopefully not have that problem as we begin to scale. Yeah, that's that, that's definitely what they're probably going through right now, not to speak for them, but from my perspective, at least from a community standpoint, what I've noticed is that the ClickUp 3.0 rollout has been going on. I think they announced it in like, it was mid-2022, and there's people who are still, I, people remember hearing that, and then it's been so long and it's not out yet. Right. Uh, that's got to be a hard thing to tackle. I'm curious how it is tackling these different feature requests and sort of how maybe you prioritize what to bring to to market sure. before other things yeah if you could see on both sides of me where i'm here <laughs> i've got two huge whiteboards on each wall left and right that have um this one has our top 25 list that we're working on right now and then this is kind of the future list of everything that i hear in conversations each yeah. day you know coming on and i spend a portion of every day talking with partners and customers and I just, I just want to listen. I'd say, you know, tell me the good things, but let's really focus on what are the bad things? You know, what don't you like and what can't you do in our product that you need to be able to do, you know, support some type of process that you have. And we track all of that information in a feature request product called Canny uh, that then allows, when it gets posted by a customer, allows other customers to come in and see that they can comment on it and vote. But it also allows us, as we start to design features, you know, the UI around features, we can put that back out to the community at that point. And each person that voted or commented gets notified when we do that automatically. Oh, well. And they, they can choose if they participate. And I can tell you, more times than not, we, we get a lot of comments back on things. So it feels like when we get to a point where things move into development, 
like it's maybe like version two or 2.5 of what it would have been because we've already had so much feedback just on the flow and the designs that happen uh, that are there. And then um, that's where we also keep people updated. Um, so each time that something is released or moves into different levels of our dev cycle, we change the status and then it auto notifies everybody that has voted on that so that they kind of know they see their own personal list of everything they voted and they know the status of where all those features are at as well. And then behind the scenes, we can tag people. So we might have people like yourself that are expert in productivity that we may weight a little higher than somebody else, but we can also see um, the MRR, ARR of the companies that those people work at and the impact that it could have to them. So if we see that like our biggest customers are asking for these three features, we, we need to listen, right? that's there. So that's constant. Every day we're looking at uh, Canny and doing our work inside of Canny to kind of understand all of that. That's really interesting. So you essentially have, uh, I don't want to call it an equation, but necessarily figuring out what, yeah, figuring out what to prioritize in your, in your update. So then this goes back to the original architecture piece, right? Because I don't believe many other companies are probably in your position. Uh, so you're able to pretty much prioritize whatever comes to the top of that equation when it does. We are. So we kind of break it out into those four buckets that I just told you on how things are broken out. Mm -hmm. And we have a top you know, 10 list in each of those buckets. And then there's also things that we feel that customers might not be asking for yet, but we feel where the market is heading that we slip in there as well. Uh, and we usually talk with our partners first about those. You know, our partners are our consultants. So they're kind of in the front line working with customers that are there. And a lot of times, if we really need to know the answer to something, they're the people that can really put their finger on, right, if you did it this way, it would save us so much time or right, you would open up this much more work for us if you if you did that. That's uh, that's a very unique thing. I, I, I'm glad more and more hearing about this that you guys started like that. Because, for example, uh, a big gripe that the Notion community has is um, – from a roadmap standpoint, roadmap standpoint, it's not necessarily like a, a public facing thing. Uh, feature requests aren't necessarily that public. And then, for example, one of the bigger like mistakes I, I had seen in, uh, in my opinion, from like a PR standpoint was they announced a Google Calendar integration in 2022 March. It is almost May 2023. <laughs> And um, we are yet to see anything public facing, uh, if, even from, so I'm a Notion ambassador. So behind the scenes, we get stuff like months early. Right. No, it's not coming. Yeah. Like I tell people this when they ask and I'm like, I'm sorry, it's not coming. And uh, where, where do you try, is this, this is definitely one of the main reasons why you probably tried to make your architecture the way it is. It, it is. I, I think one of the big lessons we learned at Archer that was that, we call it follow the customer and that we had such an active user community of people providing feedback into the product that even when we got things wrong, they were still rooting for us to get it right, you know, behind the scenes. Like they weren't leaving us, like they were pretty fanatical that was there. And that has grown into just this massive group of people that are still in that community. And we wanted to build something similar at SmartSuite where, you know, we're very, we have a partner and a community ecosystem and we spend as much time on that as anything else that we do as a business and that we want to interact with our customers, our partners every day. We actually track every engagement that we do every day. We have metrics that we track by week to make sure that we're not ever going down on those interactions that are there. And that just tells us that, you know, we're touching the right people and we're getting feedback back into the feedback loop that's going to make the product better, you know, over time. And 
we really want to do our best to stay away from situations like you just mentioned where we're announcing something and some long period of time later it's still not there and people don't know like what the status is that's when we use canny and we're trying to we try to just be really upfront and there are times that things are harder to get done than you think they're going to be and take longer and we just communicate it back in canny right we're just like we're on it but it's you know it's maybe going to be a month you know longer than what we had hoped it would be out that's awesome i that is honestly what most productivity nerds just want they just they want a vibe check it's the difference disappointment is the sort of dissonance uh, between expectation and reality and i think as a product making sure that you're at least keeping expectations at the right point is is solving part of the frustration it, it is yeah and I, I i can tell you that you know notions are a really great company and they may be behind the scenes doing a whole bunch of work to make stuff happen and not doing a great job of communicating it back out. And that's creating frustration for you, some of their best people, just not knowing. And that's a lesson that I've learned in investing in so many SaaS companies and working with so many SaaS companies that we, we just wanna take that out of the equation uh, that, that's there. We always wanna be upfront with, here's everything that's in process right now. Here's our estimated time timeline so you can make decisions. And then um, once a month in our partner community, I post updates and let them know here's what came out and here's what we're working on so that they can plan with their customers. And then about every six weeks, we do a what's new webinar uh, with SmartSuite where I spend an hour and I just go through, here's everything that we've delivered in the last four to five weeks. Here's what's on the roadmap, open questions. What are we missing, right? Or ask questions about things that we've done or are there features that I just announced that you know, that you just thought of one more great idea that we could add to that. So we try to just be really open in that communication. So I guess going into all these different, uh, like every question I'm asking seems like you got, things are buttoned up and I'm just genuinely curious, like what kind of team size are you working with in order to, to make all these th different things happen at the moment? Yeah. So we're right now, we're just a little under a hundred people on our team. We're in nine different countries. We are, here's, here's the kicker. We use our own product to manage every process in our company every day, every yeah, person, yeah. Works there, right? So all of our development activity across all our teams, all the feedback loops, all these things are in our own product. And uh, I, I don't say this very often. We don't even have a marketing person on staff. Everything that's happened at SmartSuite has been viral, mainly through people like yourself that yeah. have posted videos on YouTube and shared with other friends or businesses. And, you know, we're averaging 275 new customers a week just from that, right? That loop that's already happening. And we're getting ready to turn on the marketing. Uh, we were afraid that if we turn it on too fast, it might crush us with everything else we were kind of building inside. So that happens next quarter, uh, happens in the 1st of July for the first time for us. And then the, the main part of our team is 85% is on the technology side. Mm. on the delivery side and then we have the remaining people are on the onboarding teams that we have to just work with customers as they want to move from other platforms to smart suite that's awesome so what uh number of first of all i gotta say i'm impressed with the um i believe you've done a really good job of articulating this so the the percentage of people on staff that are focused on the back end and the tech is probably is what is allowing for this to be so um, streamlined from my perspective? For, for sure, yeah. That 85% of our company is focused just on the product itself, just the tech, the R&D side. Yeah, and then when you have that, you don't really need a lot of 
to more or less just say how it is like you don't need a an insane amount of people to relay the information right yeah we we're a product-led growth company meaning you can come to our website start a free 14-day trial of the product if if you want to extend that trial you can just ask and we'll extend it if you haven't had a chance to you know make that decision the way you need to and then at the end of that time if you don't convert to a paid plan you just move into a free plan for three users so we have a lot of teams that continue to play with us for a month or two until they've built out really what they want to deliver maybe to 100 people on their team it doesn't cost them anything and then you turn it on and when you turn things on we're different than a lot of the players in that um, you as you invite people to your account uh, when they accept the invitation is when the billing starts for that person that you want to add to your account so we don't so you have to sign up for 100 and then you invite them over three months. It's just, you know, we'll do the billing as it happens. And our lowest level plan starts at $10 per user per month. And then we go up to our enterprise, which is $42 per user per month. So I guess going there with the with the pricing question, that's got to be a hard uh, thing to sort of figure out, right? Like what, what necessarily, uh, first of all, I'm curious how many users you're at. Overall. We average... We average about 1,600 unique users a day in the platform, okay. um, and we have about 10,000, just a little over 10,000 users of the core platform itself, licensed users. Gotcha. Okay. So then, how did you determine pricing? That's a weird thing to figure out, I'm sure, as a company. It is. So, you know, I the first thing that we did was... We just looked across the productivity, project management, work management space, all the players tracked all the pricing. We knew that we couldn't be too far out of line with, with that, right? Um, so we're pretty consistent with the other players when you kind of look at the yeah. pricing, how you come in with you know an entry point of about $10. And then we, what's different about us is that we're gonna give you 95% of the features that we offer across every plan. So we don't nickel and dime you. Maybe like Monday you would come in and say, hey, I wanna run a, a Gantt chart and they say, oh, sorry, you got to upgrade to the next plan to be able to have that feature. So we try to stay away from that. We're usage based. So it's the number of records, the things that you're doing yeah. in the product that then dictates when you move. So if you're a small business, you may, you may be good on our team plan forever. Like you just say, I, I, I don't have the volume that's there, but if you start to get the volume, move up to our professional and then our enterprise offers things like single sign on and two factor authentication, just things that, a little more sophistication that's kind of built in. We offer both at our, our professional and our enterprise level. It's really crazy to me that Rise Productive is almost at its three-year anniversary. Over the years, we've shared with you so much free content on how to improve your efficiencies, operations, and intentionality across multiple content platforms. Between the podcast, newsletter, and YouTube channel, we try to give you as much free value as possible. All that we ask in return for all this free knowledge sharing is that you give us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform so that more entrepreneurs and those seeking more efficiency in their lives can find our content. These podcast reviews increase our rankings and help us reach more people who just like you just want to get more efficient. Thanks in advance. And now let's get back to the show. What made you determine that uh, change from uh, product feature set versus uh, usage as a pricing model? Because even, uh, I believe, mo honestly, like every platform does the other th opposite thing. Not everyone, but nearly all, actually. <laughs> yeah, we, we've seen some of the other platforms start to make that change just in the last six or eight months to kind yeah. of fall with us. Uh, the reason for that is, at times you'll have customers that are taking advantage of, you know, on the lowest plan, but they have 
a whole bunch of records and a whole lot of people and they're just getting a lot, you know, it, it, you're losing money, you know, on that. So we just try to be fair in what we're saying is that, and that's how we kind of came up with the usage based numbers. And then we also have things like automations where if you're automating things inside of smart suite, we give you so many of those a month that you can do. And if you want to buy another group, it's $20, right? So we're not trying to like break the bank. We're trying to be super fair, but if you're going to, you know, do five times more than the next customer on the automation side, you pay a hundred dollars more a month. It's not a, you know, it's not a drastic, a drastic price increase. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, sh I, I do think that pricing model is more fair. I, I believe it's probably because you are, from my understanding, I mean, your, your target market is a lot different than, I mean, apps like notion, right. You can have these personal plans. Um, and yeah. you're not necessarily targeting individuals. We, we, we don't target them. We have quite a number that use us that come in, especially like on the freelancer side, a lot of marketing yeah. or professional services people uh, that are doing there, but we're more, our, the types of companies that we're going after are really, you know, for-profit, nonprofit organizations and educational institutions that are there. And we give a 50% discount for nonprofits and educational institutions based on the pricing that I just told you. So we try to make it really easy for them to, to be able to come in. And then uh, we support um, SMB large and enterprise accounts. So we have accounts that you know are 10, 20 people all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. Oh, wow. Um, I guess just from your perspective in being in the space for a couple of years now, has the growth been uh, what you've expected? Less? More? I mean, it probably was hard to gauge those numbers prior, but since you haven't put anything into marketing, I'm curious how like you believe that's sort of gone. Yep. So, you know, having said we haven't put anything into marketing, the hardest part for us right now is just finding ways to get in the conversation and all of us do that each day. We go on social media, we talk with our partners, we help them answer questions so they can create content videos. We sometimes provide resources if they need resources to learn how to kind of kind of do that. And that we talk about that uh, each week on our, on our leadership call and that we just wanna be in the conversation. And we're not trying to tell people that we're better than another product. We're not better than Monday, ClickUp, Airtable. Give us a try. Like if you're gonna go look at products and make a decision, we just want to be in the conversation as you're thinking about that. And hopefully that's where we feel like we'll shine both from a feature perspective, uh, but we take a lot of pride in our customer support. So we hope that people realize and see very quickly that maybe our, the way we respond back to people might be a little different than another product that they're evaluating. I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest. It's, it's definitely different because uh, I don't know if they've, I think they have recently changed this uh, verbiage, but you're probably familiar with, especially early in your competition with them, uh, ClickUp's like one app to rule them all verbiage. Right. Yeah. Like what, what made you want to like stay away from that? Cause I, I will give you props at the beginning of the call. You even said that we're going to give you 80 to 85%. You didn't even try to claim that it was everything, which like the every other app does except for, yeah, every other app pretty much in that space kind of does. Tries to tell you that. Yeah. I, I think what we're finding at our customer bases is that, um, especially as we kind of move into the medium and large size businesses, they may have one or two point solutions that they're using. Let's say they're using Salesforce for sales and they're pretty happy with that. Uh, that's there. And they need to pull data from Salesforce into whatever products that they're using. So we have a direct connector with Salesforce. So every time something's updated in one or the other, we can sync that data back and forth for them. Uh, HubSpot, <laughs> excuse me, sorry. HubSpot is another good one. Intercom is used by a lot of SaaS companies that are there. So 
what we've tried to do from an integration standpoint is out of the box, give you integrations with the core things that we, our customers are using the most and Microsoft and Google are kind of at the top of that list, Slack, mm. Twilio. Um, and we'll continue to upgrade that as, or add more to that list as we see more usage that's kind of happening. And we can track people that are using Zapier and make and apply to do integrations with us. And if we see, people are hammering us with a particular product. We're saying maybe it makes sense for us to think about building that in as a native integration. So you don't have to have another integration product like a make or a Zapier to do that work for you. Yeah, very true. I mean, uh, something that definitely I struggle with with notions side of things is that integrations that are native are not necessarily like powerful, um, or like abundant. There's just not many of them. Uh, I guess, did you start off with like a specific group that you're like, yeah, we should probably do, do these as uh, I don't want to say your MVP. Cause it seemed like your MVP was much more fleshed out than. <laughs> yeah. The first two that we started with, it, it really came from our customers was Slack um, and yep. um, Twilio and, you know, for SMS messages that needed to be sent out. And then it went right to Google and Microsoft on the email side yep. and then across multiple platforms, like with Google calendar and such just to make it easier to, they're already using those platforms, they just need to share information. And it's pretty common that inside of SmartSuite, people are doing work, but maybe let's take like you have customer support that's happening and where something gets escalated to a point where, you know, maybe management needs to get involved with something. Sometimes it's better to throw it in a Slack channel because that's where management likes to spend their time and they just have one channel, they just click, it links them right back into SmartSuite, into the record and see the details make the decisions and off they go. So sometimes that is easier for uh, some companies as part of the process. Awesome. Yeah, I taking a step back, by the way, to more of the managerial side of things with, with the company. I'm curious, uh, how has it been running two companies uh, with your wife? Yeah, you know, we met at Ernst & Young and oh, okay. she yeah. ran sales for New York and New Jersey for them. And I was in a specialty practice and we worked together for two and a half years before I ever even asked her out. <laughs> that was there. <laughs> then we left and started Archer. Like, so we've just, our relationships always been working together. She's a phenomenal salesperson. So it just makes it, makes it easy. But we have learned that we have offices on separate sides of the building, right? So that as we go into work each day, um, like we have something to talk about when we come home, which is key for us. What do you uh, guys do from a uh, office standpoint then for smart suite? Are you partially remote? We, we, we are. Well, we're we're like ninety percent remote. Okay. So we have we have people in nine countries, uh, which is great for us, especially on the development side. So development is happening twenty four hours a day on things for us. So it just feels like we're getting more done just because we've got so many teams that are there. And then we're based in uh, Newport Beach, California. So we have an office uh, in Newport Beach. Yeah. And that's just kind of our core, kind of our core team, our onboarding specialists, those types of folks. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm from Chicago, so envying okay. you, everything you went uh, weather-wise. Uh, <laughs> what was the sort of process for uh, getting uh, that first core group of people to, to work on the product and, and sort of how have you expanded from there? That's gotta be quite the task. It is. That's for any small startup company, like that's the the hardest part's getting started sometimes, right? And um, we, we thought we had this novel idea six months before COVID started where we said, hey, I've always built a business where I've hired people like 30 miles from where the office was. 
And I don't want to do that. I want to just go find the very best people anywhere in the world. And I didn't think we would be so in so many different countries when we <laughs> yeah. started. Um, and then I, so I started looking on the development side and just interviewing all kinds of people, firms and individuals, and uh, came across somebody in the Ukraine. And I'd never been to the Ukraine at that point. And I'm like, man, I just keep having such great conversations with this person, Vladimir. I'm going to go meet him in person. And I knew in like the first hour of our conversation that I've been looking for six months. I found my first, you know, the guy to run development for us. He just understood what we were trying to do. He built some similar no-code platforms in the past. He really understood the architecture. Uh, so I got him on board. And then the next hire was uh, I wanted to have a unique designer. We haven't talked about like user interface yeah. design. I spend you know, an hour every morning with our designer going through every design down to the pixel level uh, with him. And I hired three people through Upwork of all places to kind of start because wow. I, they were pretty powerful folks are pretty good pedigrees. And one just really stood out. He's in Bulgaria. So I went to Sofia, Bulgaria, uh, met with him. Uh, Stoygen is his name. And he, he was just different. You know, I didn't want to create something that I'd always created before. And I also wanted somebody that was passionate enough about their work that they would push back a little bit with me, like not too much, but, you know, <laughs> like, but it would really give me his feedback on design. And like, I found that person. So we have one designer, if you can imagine that in our wow. product, he's done every page in our product, our entire website and every image that we've done. And he's just that, he's just that solid of a, of a designer. Wow. Yeah. yeah that, that's, yeah, then I just used that group to, to start finding and hiring people through their networks, using my networks. And then, you know, years and years later, we've built this pretty amazing team. But, you know, the first three to six months is you spend as much time worrying about finding the right people as actually getting work done. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome that you've actually, you actually went to the Ukraine and you went to Bulgaria and then, like, interviewed these people in person, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, I'm... I feel like we're best friends because we've spent now three and a half, four years every day on video calls. And, you know, I start my morning off at either six or six thirty my time on the West coast here. So I'm catching them, you know, towards the end of their day. And, you know, we, sometimes it's up to two hours, but we spend whatever we need to accomplish whatever needed to get done so that they're ready to work the next day, you know, on things. Yeah. I, having that remote uh, and like, option to have all these different people work at a company now is is a unique advantage one of my notion clients a couple of years ago or not sorry last year was a founder of a software development company called kitram his name was vlad as well and he's from the ukraine and i remember just having conversations with him on some on some different things and his whole team that he had built uh, he he lives in like florida now but ha uh -huh. and then still has his team in the Ukraine. And it's just, it's, it's mind boggling the kind of talent that has existed this entire time that was available to the U S market, but we just never bothered to, to look. Yeah. Most people, like I was pretty naive until four years ago as well of what was really going on there. But you know, when the wall came down and you know, the, and they weren't part of the communist party anymore, the generation of people that are in their thirties right now is the first generation that actually got to pick to go to school where they went to school, what their job would be. And as a country, they really focused on tech and on the university side, they built some amazing universities to teach, teach this generation of, of people. And the quality and the talent is just, it's, it's amazing uh, coming out of Ukraine. 
That's amazing. Yeah, he he spoke to it uh, very well uh, with me one on one, and and it's funny just hearing about it from from somebody who has like built their uh, software company with uh, an amazing group of workers. That apparently, like, what percentage do you think actually is probably from the Ukraine? And that um, we're probably close to a little, excuse me, a little over fifty percent of our people are in Ukraine. So they were all across the country, uh, and then when the war started, we yeah. were pretty worried. Uh, that's there. And I just have to say, like, we were just amazed at the way they handled the, and the war still going on still. Yeah. It didn't feel like it when I talked to them, but they moved their teams to other parts of the country and helped each other kind of get settled in different places. Some people went to Poland, some people went to like Spain, Portugal, um, mainly the, the women and the kids to kind of get away from the war because the men can't leave uh, that's there. Um, and, you know, we would ask them at times like, don't worry about working today. I know things are stressful. And the comments more times than not back were, this is, we want to come to work because we get our mind away from everything else. And if we go home, we're just watching the news and all the bad stuff and have too much anxiety. So it was almost like work was the place they could go to get the the release, you know, that they needed. Now, I, I just say that, you know, our, our vision at SmartSuite is to help people work smarter. And that's, that's what we're all about is productivity, work management, working smarter in your role, not necessarily harder, but smarter. And um, we'd love to be in the conversation. And if you, you know, we offer a free 14 day trial, you can come to the website, just click and get started. No credit card required. We don't bother you with a bunch of sales calls during that time. Uh, but in the bottom right hand corner of the product, there's an icon that you can click on and chat with a member of our team in real time at any point if you do have questions. Well, that's awesome. I really appreciate having you on the show today, John. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Time went by pretty fast. <laughs> yes, it did. And with that being said, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Rice Productive Podcast. And we will see you in the next one. If you'd like to continue listening to this conversation, you'll need to subscribe at riseproductive.com slash membership or on your favorite podcast app. Once you do, you'll get full length access to these episodes of the Rise Productive podcast, as well as access to our subscriber only podcast and newsletter, The Weekly Pour Over.